Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Blackwell Renaissance. And I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Do you know the rules of the game? Yeah. You know the rules of the game? I don't care what color. Can you make me a hundred million? Let's talk money. Can you make me that? If you can't make me that, I won't talk to you. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is broad money marathon. Do five years of this and be a millionaire and go on do what I want to do. Have kids go live my chip and joy in the games like out here in Texas or struggle for next year. The choice is yours. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Black Wolf Renaissance Podcast. Your boy, David Bella, one-fourth of the Black Wolf Renaissance, checking in with my co-host. Fellas, how y'all feeling, man? What up, what up, what up, man? Feeling great, bro. It's a great Saturday. As you can see, we got everybody in the building in one spot, so it's amazing, man. Yeah, man, I'm glad everybody can actually be here. It's like only with our second and third podcast, everybody being in one spot. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. We've been doing this for like a year, and third time we linked up with this, but, I mean, if we was going to have, like, the third time for us linking up to be for an episode, I'm happy it was for this one. Because, like, I've been really excited yeah. for this one. Man, this one been in the this works for a minute. For a <laughs> in a minute. Y'all, we got another great episode for y'all this week. We got a legend in her own right. Yeah. On the pod. She's been dubbed the next Steve Jobs by Forbes. And she is the author of The History of the Black Dollar, Miss Angel Rich. Angel, how you doing? Hi, how are you today? I'm very excited to be here. Hey, we want to say thank you for coming on. Like we said, we've been anticipating this one for a while. 
We definitely are so excited. And once again, just thank you. Yeah, thank you guys for what you do. I mean, I'm sure you know I've been following you for a while. You know, I repost a lot of your stuff. So I love what you guys are doing. I love the mission. So I'm happy to be a part of it. Hey, we appreciate that. We appreciate that so much. So, Angel, to get started with the podcast, the way we always started off, we get you to introduce yourself to our audience for the people who may not know you so you can tell them, like, who is Angel Rich and how'd you get to be the next Steve Jobs? Oh, wow, that's a mouthful. <laughs> well, basically, uh, Forbes named me the next Steve Jobs because, like Steve, uh, plan to democratize music through technology we are on a mission to equalize financial literacy across the world. And we build financial literacy, education, technology, games, curriculum, and FinTech products to achieve that goal. Mm, that's boss shit. So can we just get right on into it? And like, can we talk, like you said, the FinTech, can we talk about, I don't even want to talk about the FinTech. I want to talk about the book that you wrote, the history of the black dollar. And like, how did you even find yourself writing that book? What inspired you to write that book? Yes. So when I wrote this book, I spent a period of rereading a ton of Black history books. I had sat down and I read Rosa Parks and Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois and Melba Bates. And time and time again, I realized a lot of the stories that they were sharing seem to be things that we were experiencing in present time. So I questioned, well, what has happened since the beginning of time that led us to this point? Where has our money gone? Where has the trust in our community as well as financial institutions gone? What happened with the very first dollar that ever touched a slave hand? That was really kind of the question that I started with. And it led me on a path to diving deep into history where I wanted to be able to articulate what had happened along our economic journey, not just black history, but our economic journey from beginning of history all the way to present day. So history of the black dollar starts with the very first day that ever touched base in America and brings us all the way forward to the Black Lives Matter movement. I found it very interesting that economics and finance was conveniently neglected from our black history pages. Mm -hmm. Many of us don't know of the different economists or different points of history that has happened that has affected our money. For instance, we know about Black Wall Street, but how many of us know about Freeman's Bank? Mm -hmm. And so being able to dive into different points of our history where money has been directly stolen from us it helps to explain why our community has such a large number of people that are unbanked and underbanked. So it just really was almost a self-exploration at first. And then when I put it out, I really didn't have necessarily any intention of it blowing up the way that it did. I felt like there were a ton of Black history books that were already written. But as I started to dive into them, I felt like a lot of them had a lot of bias along with it, where... They were trying to persuade the audience to feel one way or another. And I felt as though the facts alone was enough. The pure facts of what happened to us as a people is enough to be able to point out that we have some disparities. Mm -hmm. And just to touch on one thing you mentioned in there, like, I like that about your book. 
in just the messages you share in general is the economic empowerment and how it was left out of our history. And I think that's definitely like something that's intentional that we never really always talk about because they don't want to show us that whenever we start buying and owning shit, that's whenever we start really having the power to make change. Absolutely. Booker T. Washington wrote a book in 1907 called Negroes in Business. I have studied Booker T. Washington my entire life. I did not even know that until I started to write this book. The first oyster house in the country was started by free slaves in Rhode Island. Hmm. You know, you think of that as something that Caucasians do, but that's actually something that we started. There's so many points that we don't even necessarily realize have happened in our history. For instance, Harriet Tubman, when she found out that we were making only 67 cents on the dollar, she was on the train coming from the north to the south. During that time, she felt as though it was ridiculous that black people were not being paid the same amount as white people, especially since the Black Union Army were the people that was running the war. So she immediately gathered together the black troops and they boycotted receiving their wages as a result of protests to be able to get equal pay. Harriet Tubman nearly died without receiving her equal pay. The reason that we have a story on Harriet Tubman is because she was pretty impoverished while she had her house and things, but she was pretty impoverished. And her neighbor decided to write a book about her to be able to share her story because she felt as though it was no way that this woman should die in poverty after having achieved so much. So she was very vigilant about the fact that we needed to receive equal pay. Do you know what Blacks are making on the dollar in present day times? Enlighten me, sister. 67 cents on the dollar. That's crazy. 63 cents if you are a Black woman. So I ask myself, what has happened in the past 150 years where the first time that we found out that we were receiving equal pay, 150 years later, we're still receiving that amount. Now, we had a period in the 80s where we went up to about 83 cents. It was about 73, 76 cents if you were a woman. But then we dropped on back down. So I really felt as though it was important to be able to fill in the gaps as to what has happened to our economic journey. Uh, that's empowering. That's and I love it. That's definitely powerful. You know, the fact that, I mean, it's crazy to think that we, it hasn't changed over time. Yeah, it went up a little bit in the 80s. But to think that it's been this long and it hasn't changed. Yeah. I got a question though. How do they even, how do you get away with that? Like, how do you keep that intact? That's a whole nother book, brother. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm actually writing another book called uh, Racism, a Public Health Crisis. But how they have gotten away with it has been through what they would call black codes. So if you want to dive in, roll my sleeves up a little bit first. <laughs> okay? When we were first free, we actually experienced a period of prosperity during the Reconstruction area. Mm-hmm. We were in politics, we were buying land, um, we were growing um, economically, we were doing quite well. And then they said, hold up, wait a minute, they're growing a little bit too fast. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cut-off? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
And so they instituted this thing called Black Codes. And it actually started right here in Washington, D.C. And Black Codes might sound familiar to you because they would have known something like this. You had to have a job and be fully employed or they would put you in jail. Okay? If you were out past the curfew time, if you were out past 10 p.m., if you were in a part of the town that you should have belonged, any little thing that you did, they will put you in jail. Now, once you're in jail, in order to get out of jail, you then have to be employed. You have to some type of way find a job while you're in jail and receive two letters from upstanding white people verifying that you should get out of jail. If you did not accomplish these things, they didn't put you back on the plantation where you then work for free. That model continues to this day. So when black men, or I shouldn't just say black men, when people are complaining about their probation officer and being on their back where they might have, I have plenty of friends where entrepreneurs or something like that got caught with a nick bag, now they on probation, and now they gotta end the entire business that they were building because they have to get a job for their probation officer. Those rules were instituted directly after slavery. Mm -hmm. The entire plan has always been to get us back on the field because they lost the free labor. There are now more black people in jail than there were during slavery. So they accomplished their goal. You know, I had actually heard of something similar to that. I had watched the documentary, The 13th Amendment, mm -hmm. and that's where I had first heard of that as far as like being a strategy like the black codes that would come in and get people jailed for basically anything Bullshit. so that they could turn around and then put them on chain gangs and put them on stuff like that because again now i've written it into the law that you know once you're a criminal yeah you're right basically to slavery yeah. yeah now you're a slave again basically absolutely you know it's even sadder when you actually dive into the prison population numbers, 70% of them are pretty much there because they can't afford bail. That in yeah. itself, mm -hmm. and then they delay their trial hearings and different things like that. So you might be in jail for a year or two, working a plantation, giving up free labor because you can't afford bail. And mm -hmm. this is something like sometimes $1,000. But if you don't have any money and you're in rural North Carolina, $1,000 might as well be $100,000. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's quite interesting. That's how they have been able to continue to oppress us. And then on the other end, you have the carrot stick. You have the people that have made it out, but as Lupe Fiasco says, forget that the song goes on. Mm -hmm. And they're just concerned about their own back and their own skin. And, oh, let's not, let's not rock the cradle too much. You know, and I feel as though right now, even with these riots that are going on, yes, it's destruction and different things like that. But I feel like black leaders should be like burning all. Now, I don't think that people should be burning black-owned businesses. I think when you have a sign outside and say black-owned, I mean, come on, people, I don't know with these millennials. But other than that, other than that, I feel as though, yes, that's what gets people attention. That is what directly impacts them financially and I feel as 
but we just need to be more strategic with it. I think how they shut down the highways, that impacts transportation, that impacts people having to get back and forth to work. We have to think about this from an economic perspective. That's what Colin Kaepernick was all about, with protesting the NFL. But some people would rather trade entertainment for their future. You know, hmm. it's crazy to me. It is. It's really insane. And, like, I'm glad you keep touching on the economic part of it because I really want to, like, talk about your company, the Wealth Factory, and, like, the things y'all are doing with FinTech and, like, the ways y'all are really getting to our people to help educate them. And change this stuff. Yeah, and change this stuff. Because, like, in our eyes, I know, like, the mission behind this is the only true way to change is through the education and economic empowerment of our people because those are the two areas where they're using us to keep us oppressed. Yeah, I agree. You know, like Jay-Z said, what is better than one billionaire? Two. Two. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, let's triple that up. Let's double that up, you know? So I think that from our perspective, being able to create equal access to financial literacy to help people be able to achieve their financial dreams is essential. It's the end all be all from our perspective. When it comes to health, when it comes to social justice, education, even waste management and transportation, it all boils down to money. So if you don't have money, the only thing you really have to rely on is your vote. And while it's great to vote, it would be even better if you could buy things and be able to control the system. If you could buy the buildings that are on your block and have a say-so when it comes to the community needs. If you could put money into coffers for different elections and different things like that. So, you know, it's don't hate the player, hate the game. Mm. But you got to get in the game. And so that's my whole perspective on it, is being able to teach people how to manage their credit, how to be able to build up their savings, strategically pay off their debt, get life insurance, get annuities, get investment accounts, and then use that money to come together collectively for the greater good. So I do like how, you know, black people are, have definitely started to achieve greater wealth, but I would like to see more collective unity in what's happening with that wealth and not just starting t-shirt lines and liquor companies and things like that. Why aren't we funding technology companies? Yeah. What's the top yeah. companies in the world right now? Are they all not technology companies? So why wouldn't we be funding black tech companies? It really truly boggles my mind, the decision-making that's going on in a lot of these wealthy rooms. So to be able to help the common man, because it's 3 billion people with poverty, but 1.5 billion of them have smartphones, we said, let's just equalize this. So we invented Credit Stacker. Credit Stacker is similar to Candy Crush, except for swapping around candy, you swap around credit types, to be able to pay off your debt, achieve a high credit score, and learn from the multiple choice questions. We've been named the best financial literacy product in the country by the White House, Department of Education, and J.P. Morgan Chase. We are the number one education app in, top, in uh, 14 countries and top yeah. five in 40 countries. Mm. So it's very exciting. Hey, let's go. Talk let's, let's go. Hey. Let's do So I kind of want to go back. How'd you even get your start in like, financial literacy and like just becoming so engulfed that like, where did this even start at? Well, basically, I decided to start this company after I had made my company, Prudential, $6 billion. So I had just made my company $6 billion. And you said my M or B? With a B? 
With a B. With a B. Jeez. Jesus. <laughs> I know they was hurt when you quit. <laughs> yeah. So I had just made my company $6 billion. They gave me a presidential achieve award. I got a five out of five, which only goes to the top 100 employees. I got a full ride to Wharton as well as a double promotion. And at this point in time, my church wanted to go on a mission trip to Africa. So I asked them for $175,000 to be able to fund my church's trip to Africa. I had just made them a billion or two the year before from the African American Financial Experience Study. So I was gonna put everybody in t-shirts and different things like that. So they told me no, they declined giving me this money. And they gave me 30,000 for my bonus. So after that, I went off to Africa, specifically Kenya, and I met a little boy in a Wharton t-shirt. And I realized no matter how smart this little boy became, he probably would never have the opportunity to actually go to Wharton. And so I decided to quit my job to create equal access to financial literacy everywhere. So that hopefully by the time this little boy grows up and it's time for him to be able to apply to Wharton, equality amongst financial literacy actually exists. That's, I applaud you. That's deep. That's deep. I really like that because it's not only like just looking at the current issue or like what's around you, but even going further and going overseas and seeing like how can I impact everybody to make this a better situation and equalize it for everybody. Yeah, and it's been interesting because we expanded into 42 countries on our first day of launching. We did 200,000 downloads in 10 days. It was quite historic. I have the most downloads of any Black woman in the world. We've now grown organically to 450,000 and to 60 countries. And what's actually even more interesting is we started blowing up in Latin America, winning awards in Chile and Colombia, and we was like, what's going on? Well, turns out Latin American women started commenting that they were playing our game at night as a pre-immigration tool to prepare to come to America and leave their husbands because they're mm. not allowed to manage their money in Latin America and a lot of different places. Mm, wow. And the only mm. access that they have to financial literacy is through our game. Oh, wow. Wow. That is crazy. Like, that's inspiring. It is because, oh. like, you, know, you never think about a game actually being that, that able to impact people, you know? Like, mm-hmm. people think of games on their phone as just like, oh, I play this whenever I get bored. But, like, that's taking – I love the fact that you did it as an app because you were able to meet so many people where they're at. That's something we talk about a lot. Right there. In their face, man. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, that was our exact theory after traveling around the world and experiencing these different things. I said, why not put it on a phone? So we were the first financial literacy mobile game on the market. And it's been really amazing. In America, we've also had astonishing results where I had somebody after two weeks of launching the game send me a picture of his credit report informing me that we had raised his credit score by 75 points after two weeks. So the day we launched the game, he sent me a note and said, within 24 hours, I've completely changed my entire view around credit. I've paid off my debt and all these various different things. And then two weeks later, 
sent me a picture of his credit score going up 75 points. It just happened to align with when the score was getting updated. And I responded, you're kidding me. <laughs> so when we first did it, we were just planning on financial education. We wasn't planning on it actually changing and impacting people's credit scores. From there, I've had people stop me on the street crying, telling me how it's changed their life. I had one lady break down on me and say that the game helped prevent her family from getting out of foreclosure. They were facing foreclosure, and she played the game and learned so much and was able to get out of it. And she was like, because of you, I'm not homeless, and my family isn't homeless. And another one where a guy sent it in and said that we helped him increase it by 100 points, and he was able to get a loan for $150,000 to start his business. All of this from playing the game. So it's been really amazing. And as a result of so much success that we've had with our algorithm, where we did uh, reverse engineer the Fair Asset Credit Reporting System, and that's the algorithm that the game is based off of, we're now spinning that out as a standalone product called Credit Fixer, where we're going to be rounding up people's fair change to be able to pay off their debt and leverage our algorithm to automatically increase their credit score. And we're very excited that we recently got a partnership with Experian, so we'll be working directly with them to build the product. Let's go. Let's go. That's lit. <laughs> Man. So I do have a question, though, just, and this is a leading question. But so how much does the app cost to access? Yes. Yeah, so Credit Stacker is $9.99. Well, actually, they're both $9.99. Okay. So how are you? I guess the next thing people are going to come in and be like, well, credit repair costs me so much. How are you able to? to make it this cheap and still be able to give people such good value in just a game. Woo, you got to make me be honest. <laughs> I want you to. <laughs> Honestly, that question right there is one of the reasons that it even took me so long to spin it out into a standalone product for credit repair. Because I felt like so many of these companies was ripping people off. It's really just about information and education. Just like how the people were able to play the game and raise their score so much just by listening to the information. One of the main reasons that people don't understand credit is because they limit the information that we receive. It really isn't about it being so super difficult. It's just about actually knowing the information and how the formula works so that you can then operate your credit accordingly. 35% of the credit score is just on paying your bills on time. I didn't even know that when I was first doing this. I thought as long as you played it by the fifth, you were cool. But actually how a lot of agencies, and for the most part, they report, is for you paying it on the first. I now pay all my bills on the 22nd. So it's like you definitely got it by the first. And just, you still have to pay it every month. So just instead of paying it on the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, just pay it on the 22nd. Something that simple can increase your credit score. So... How can we make it so cheap? Because we know what we're doing and it's actually just about having the access to the information and we're not in the business of trying to knock people over the head. I mean, yeah, we could easily charge 100, 200, 300. I mean, shoot, maybe we could even charge a thousand if we wanted to because we've been so impactful with people. But why do that? That's really not my mission. It's really not about necessarily the money for me. Of course, we have to make money to, in order to sustain the business and for our investors and things like that. Of course, we have to scale the revenue. But the entire point isn't to gouge people. It's to save and help people. Message, message, message. Y'all go download that app. 
<laughs> so, Angel, I do kind of want to go back because you touched on a study that you did for Prudential that you said you did the year before. And I wanted to, I was interested. Like, what was that study again? Yeah, so that study is actually my pride and joy. Um, I consider it the precursor to my book, History of the Black Dollar. And the African-American Financial Experience Study was the first study ever conducted by a financial services company to analyze the financial behavior of Blacks. It was my lifetime goal. I did not expect to get it done until I was 60, and I ended up accomplishing it at age 24. In that study, I was able to prove that Blacks own life insurance at an equal or higher value than other races. The life insurance industry went off. They couldn't believe it. They actually duplicated the research study just to see if the results were accurate. The results were accurate, and it proved my theory correct. And I also proved that the best way to financially educate Blacks was through churches, that we had to have some type of trusted figure in order to actually ease the apprehension towards finance to be able to increase our retention. So you then have people like Pastor Bussasaurus that I was able to bring in and Dave Ramsey and people like that that have now gone across the country and the world exploring black churches with financial literacy. As well as the most thing that I'm proud of is that when I turn on the TV every day now, there are black people in life insurance and financial services commercials. That did not exist before my study. Mm-hmm. Impact, man. And I see why they gave you that name. It's not because, you know, it's because you're about to change the change world with the what you're about to world, do. Yeah. For real, yeah. Like, yeah. Already changing the world. Yeah, man. And I applaud you once again. That's some... Thank you. Thank you for <laughs> what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you guys push the culture forward, you know? Appreciate it. That's It's just crazy, like, I don't know this whole I'm taking aback by the whole thing because yeah, it's like man. it's amazing how just your story and how it all played together to make a huge impact. You can still run a successful company. You can still scale it all and do all of the education to the point to what you wanted to do and still be successful with it. Mm-hmm. And that's what is really cool to me. It's like I don't have to sacrifice one or the other. I don't have to be, you know, broke, a broke entrepreneur over here to give everything away. But at the same time, I don't have to bust people over the head and take all their money and still help them. You know what I'm saying? And still making the impact to have these people telling you their credit went up over a game. Like, I, that's the other thing I want all the listeners to get. Like, they were playing Candy Crush, but learning. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I want y'all to get. Like, that's crazy. And she broke it down using the algorithm, the FICO score, to figure that out and give it to people. Like, that That takes a lot on your part as well as just what you created. That's dope. I'm sorry. I went on the monologue. That's dope. Yeah, <laughs> it's dope. No, it's, it's deserved because, like, it is, bro. Like, you can't beat that. Learn yeah, from man. a video game, bro. And, and I kind of want to ask another question. Like, what about the rest of the community, like us that might not get on the phone on a game or something? How do you see we connect and hit those people? Like the more people, you know, in the hood, the people who really just like, they just trying to survive. They just trying to make it day to day. How do we hit those people? I got something for y'all too. I've written the Wealthy Life Financial Literacy Guide. So if you don't have access to a computer or phone, you can be able to get this off of Amazon or Barnes & Noble. What we're working on right now, and I'm not going to announce the partner, but we got the contract. 
we just did a partnership with the country's preferred provider for social services for all of the housing authorities across the country. So this company has over 10 million, if not more, people in their database for all of the housing authorities. So for the first time, they're going to be bringing on a financial management and financial literacy arm, and we're going to be that partner with them. So to that point, we want to spoon feed people. We've already successfully tested it across housing authorities. We've already done the White House National STEM Tour. With us doing the White House National STEM Tour, that was actually across different housing authorities across the country under the Obama administration. I'm also on the board of the Charter School Development Corporation, where we've already successfully tested it in charter schools. We are the only people to have successfully tested our financial literacy product with pre-K as well as special needs. We've also tested it with veterans and the VFWs. And uh, we're working on a lot of things with veterans right now as well. So our plan, as well as returning citizens, we were the only people in the country where we had a contract where we were delivering financial literacy in exchange for probation hours. So instead of mm. picking up trash, you would come to us and we would teach you financial literacy for your rehabilitation. We went through all of these different vulnerable populations to ensure that this curriculum and this financial literacy guide would meet each and every single person's need. I get so sick of people telling me about their populations that can't read or can't do this and can't do that. I've tested it with them all. So the way that we have designed our curriculum and our guide, we get down to the nitty gritty. It's pictures and color throughout the entire thing. It's not written in paragraph form. It's broken down into bullet points. We have activities, we have spelling and vocabulary, we have where we call it Wall Street to Main Street, where we kind of break it down so that it, you can sort of retain it personally, as well as we have family goals. So this is something that we want integrated in every school, in every educational setting across the country and across the world. I think it's super dope that you're doing it with the probation in the housing authority yeah but the probation is because i know a lot of people that's on probation that do a lot of stuff but they don't know the financial literacy part of it and it's easy to get caught right back into that life so to try to move it into that probationary period and that's what they have to do to get those hours i think that's perfect for them yeah you know that population is actually really special to me and during that we worked in different settings some of it i actually went into people's homes and we were the first and last stop before and after they went to jail as well as at-risk students. So I have students that I work with where I help prevent them from going to jail, you know, where they have home arrest bracelets on their ankle. And as a result of teaching, I'm almost getting emotionally even thinking about it, but as a result of teaching them this financial literacy, they were able to get back into their right grade, go from an alternative school to a regular school, as well as I didn't even realize that the parents and the mother was paying so much attention. And one day, this particular mother came to me and was like, Miss Rich, I got a job interview today. And at first I didn't get it. I was like, oh, that's what's up. And then she was like, no, I got a job interview today. And then it occurred to me that this woman has never really worked. She's just been on welfare. So through me being there, working with her average child, going through this curriculum and going through this program, it then inspired her to go out and get a job. This woman then started dressing. She used to just dress in sweats. She then like started getting business clothes. She went on the interview. She got the job. They moved from the hood in D.C. out to Maryland. I mean, I could go on and on. It's just, it's really, 
actually changes people's lives. And that's the beauty of that knowledge, like sharing knowledge. That knowledge shows people their opportunities, like that you really ain't got to settle. You can really do a lot. I also been there too and point out that it speaks volumes to the activity, like to not just being like, oh, well, these people are impoverished in this way or they're, you know, in this bad situation. So we're just going to, you know, it makes the problem harder. So leave it. You know, she wasn't like, nah, that's not what we finna do. I'm going to create the partnerships with the different people and then bring it to them. I'm going to make it part of your probation thing to where you can come get points now to learn about money versus just being like, oh, well, I got to sit through this panel. You know what I'm saying? Like she set it up to bring it to the people. And that's dope too. Cause it's like a lot of people are complaining about them saying problems, but they ain't going to do nothing. You know, you're absolutely right. And you're hitting the nail on the head. So many people just say, Oh, I'm not going to go into those communities either because they're scared or whatever reasons that they have. I don't care. I look at it like if I just say one today, that's what's going to happen. You know, and I was in there where babies crying and the smell wasn't so great and his roaches <laughs> crawling all around and I'm acting like I don't see nothing. You know, it's, like, it's that type of environment. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. But you gotta do what you gotta do. You know, I've gone into the worst recreation center in D.C. Sad to say, these kids, when it rains, it go from the roof all the way straight to the floor and they got rats running around the building where they can't even take their shoes off. And they're coming to me starving and already agitated. So I would start the day by going to the giant and getting a bunch of food. I got the men that work there to break out the grill and I would just feed them while we were also doing the program. So it's not that these things are difficult. You just have to take it to them and meet their needs where they are. And that's deep too that you even spoke to that. Like, these programs, some of the same programs is meant to help these people are in place, but mm. the folks that's in them is scared because they don't look like the people of the communities that they need to go talk to. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's scared of kids. Like, a lot of these people are just kids, you know? And, of course, things can get violent, but are you going to let that stop you from helping an entire generation? So you're just going to year after year just say, oh, well, we're not going to worry about that generation? I just met with a guy yesterday. Just yesterday, a guy, and I'm not going to say his name, just yesterday, a guy had read my book. In my book, I talk about an organization called Go Pay Your Tuition. He had got, he couldn't afford to go back to school, and he was sitting out for a year. He then connected with the organization from my book, Go Pay Your Tuition, became friends with the founder. They then helped him get back into college. The founder of that company then contacted me and said, hey, 
this guy is headed to D.C., and I think we should surprise him. So I haven't gone out at all since the quarantine. But yesterday, I went to go meet this gentleman. He didn't even know that I was going to be there. And he walked in, and we ended up spending the entire day together, you know? And so he was from Milwaukee. So it's like you have to take the time. That's just one person. But I will go out of my way just for one person. So if I can reach the masses through my different books or through the different technology so that other people can then sit in rooms and hopefully reach somebody, that's just what needs to happen. Angel, I do, I kind of want to have a question. Because, like, I'm hearing this and I'm thinking for a person who, you know, they might be, like, one of the people we've kind of been describing or in the situation. What advice would you give to someone like that who is just, like, to just get started on like financial literacy and changing their financial future? I would say they first need to write their goals down. That's just point blank period. 70% of people that achieve their goals have a written plan. And so if you don't have a plan, then you plan to fail, you know? So I call it angel 10 step process. I think it works. Well, I know it works if you listen. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we go through something like this. You take out a sheet of paper and you number it from one to 10. Number one is where you currently are. Number 10 is where you want to be. Number five is the middle point. Then you go back to number nine. What's the next thing that you need to do in order to achieve your success, to reach your glory moment? Then you go back to number two. What's the very next thing that you can do tomorrow in order to move this forward? Then you go back to number eight. What's before number nine? Then you go back to number three, then number seven, then number four. Then you have a complete 10-step list as to what goals that you want to achieve and how you want to achieve them. You then take that list, those, you then turn those into bullet points, and then you write 10 items underneath of each one of those. How do you now plan to be able to achieve each one of these? And then you set dates beside each of the major headings. What date do you plan to achieve this by? Hey, y'all following them 10 steps? Yeah, they're going to have to run that one back and, and get, the, get the pen and paper out. I did want to go back to what you said earlier about how the best way to learn for Black people is through the church. You know, how did you find that study and what was the findings of that? How does that come about? How do we do that? Yeah, so that was actually in the African-American financial experience study that I did. I actually had to fight very hard just to get that question in the study. I grew up in the church, so it was always a theory of mine that the most trusted person of the Black community was the pastor. And I wanted to be able to prove that in the actual research statistic. It had never even been asked before. They thought that I was crazy. And so I brought in two pastors from the community, as well as a university professor of African-American studies. And I had a roundtable meeting with the head of market research. And they were like, of course, the best place is the church. And they completely backed me up. They then let me put that in the research study. And it came back. And I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's been busting my head with all man. <laughs> but I like oh, no, you good? I was about to say, I like what you said with that in there too, with it being like the church being one of the places where we could really start. Because a lot of people are always like 
asking or questioning, like, you know, where should we gather? Who should be the leaders? How should this even go? Like, and I always, it always made sense to me, but just from a different standpoint, like church on Sunday at 11 o'clock or whatever time y'all meet is one of the only times I know that many black people that come in mass on a regular basis every week and sit there and listen to somebody and get taught. So it was like, I'm not saying that it should be, you know, substitute your religion for, you know, financial literacy or anything like that. But it would make sense that like, if we took that same time period, yeah, and started teaching during that, that might help too. I mean, let's take it all the way back to slavery, brother. You know, I feel like, I don't know if y'all watch um, Black AF, but every episode is like, this is because of slavery, and uh-huh. this is because of slavery. <laughs> oh, yeah, and this is because of slavery, too. And yeah, I probably believe this is slavery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's take it back to slavery, brother. <laughs> um, church was the only time we were allowed to gather. Mm. Sunday was the only time that we had time off from working the field and they would allow us to have church. This goes back to why so many black people are confused about the Bible because they wouldn't even provide us with the actual full Bible. They would take certain pages and certain chapters and all different types of things out and they kind of curtailed kind of a slave Bible. They would then Mm. give us, they would then have what we would now call today an Uncle Tom, depending on who the person was, I can go into that next. And they would then have him deliver the message while they stood there with the shotgun overseeing the church. That is why we then came up with so many, what we now call hymns, but sort of these spiritual messages that we were giving to each other through the song because the time that we had to congregate was in the church. Mm-hmm. Y'all follow all that? Yeah. yeah. So, I yes. actually never knew that. Yeah, so that is why we trust the church so much. That is why the church has always been the focal point of our community because they ingrained that in us. We came off of so many different ships and spoke so many different languages, but where you came together and spoke one language and received your lessons and you had your Uncle Tom telling you now, you better listen to Massa. This is what you got to do and don't we love Massa and this, that, and the third. Now, of course, not all Black people that was playing that role actually meant what they were saying. I come from a long line of ministers of South Carolina and of the of the Baptist Convention. My family are some of the biggest legacies of ministers in the country. So you had some ministers that were acting as what I call Trojan horses, where they were sort of playing a role, but they were secretly, you know, underground railroad stops. They were uh, saving up money um, for future sharecropping. That's how so much of the sharecroppers initially were ministers because they were collecting the offering. So they used the church money to go out and buy the land to be able to help people. So a lot of our culture and our history completely stems back to the church. So the church actually was the original treasurer of our community. Mm-hmm. That and, makes sense. And I got a question now because now... I see like there's a disconnect between us and the church, like in this current climate. And like you said, they would take that money on the offerings. They'll go buy land. Right now, you got a lot of black people. They're like, I'm not giving my money to the church. The pastor go go do this, go do that. So like, how do you think we kind of, I'm not even going to say how we fix that, but like, how do you think, what's your thoughts on that? 
Whew, that is actually a great question, you know, and I'm not going to speak on behalf of every black church across the country, but from what I have seen, I think we kind of lost a little bit of our morals and who's called and who's not. You know, before for you to say that you were called, that was a very serious allegation. You know, you were basically accusing God of blessing you <laughs> for you to be anointed to go out and deliver the message to other people. Some type of way, I would say over the last 50 years, we've kind of lost that regard and fear of God for us to say such a huge allegation like that, that we have been called and not truly mean it and have not truly had that experience. I think we're also dealing with a lot of mental health. I think there might be people that think they've been called <laughs> that haven't been. And you know, somebody <laughs> should tap them on the shoulders and say, hey brother, I don't, I don't know if you quite heard that clearly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think there's a, it was a lot of checks and balances that was happening before because that was the lifeblood of the community. If you mess that up, you mess up an entire underground railroad stop. And now you got people starting churches right across the street from each other just because they want a different offering plate. So we've lost the point in the morals of it. And you know you just said a mouthful. Amen. I want y'all to think about that. Shake your moral compass. But So Angel, I think we're going to go ahead. We're going to pivot to the last segment of the show. We're going to your timeline. So, Angel, we want to ask you, what's something that you've seen on social media that you want to talk about? I know there's a lot going on right now. <laughs> so you can just have a field day with whatever you want to. Wow, I wasn't expecting that question. Okay, let me think about it. Let me think about it. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to tell you what's bothering me right now. I kind of mm -hmm. mentioned it earlier. What's irritating me right now is black leaders telling us to calm down. Mm. If you want to come out and your message is to calm down, just stay at home. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't need to hear that message. Mm. We've been told to be calm for 400 years. And this is what bothers my mind, mm. right? This is how I do a self-check as to whether or not I'm tripping or if I'm being biased. If this was a white woman or even a dog, if it was a white dog, okay, <laughs> Let's say if it was a black dog, okay, where they were stepping on the dog's neck, they killed the dog with video, put their hand in their pocket while they killed the dog, and then just rolled him all on his back while everybody watched them kill the dog. They would erupt. Peter yeah. would be out there pouring blood on people. People would be on the news. The president and all type of other people would be like, we are angry and we stand <laughs> and we're going to solve this until the last person is convicted and we're going to do this. And, ah! <laughs> but let it be a woman that pumps blood, that shares your common genetics. And you want to build this damn country. Down? I can't. I just can't. It's it's I'm some sad. I get you out. <laughs> it, I mean, nah, it's, 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 what it is is like it's some fucked up shit with it because it's like we really have been being quiet, like For you know, far too long, far too long, and then like we've done, we've taken the steps. You know what I mean? We did the due diligence. Like we, we was out here. Cap was on really? taking a knee in 2016. They said they had a problem with that. The country shut down for what? 
two and a half months, we come back out six, six murders in a month. Six murders. We tired of that shit. Like we can't just keep going on the same way forever. So I I'm, absolutely, and I'm tired. Also, I mean, I believe in nonviolence, of course, but I also believe that there are other ways to get things done. And the moral that I rest on with that is God Himself. If you actually read, I encourage everybody to actually go read Nat Turner' letter from jail. That is the true story of Nat Turner, not the movie, the true story of Nat Turner. Nat received a vision from God. Nat was a prophet. They had predicted he was a prophet before he was even born. When Nat was born, some of his earliest words were visions that he had seen of his family before he was even born. And so the family had a meeting and said, surely this little boy must be a prophet because he's telling us things that happened before he was even born. So Nat says that his entire purpose was to be able to help free the slaves. So one day he received a vision from God because he said God was tired and frustrated. I don't want to say God was tired, but God was frustrated with seeing our people in agony. So he told Matt Turner to rise up and revolt in the manner that he did. So the way that we are protesting and the way that we are revolting is in the same vein that God has showed us to revolt against such sinfulness throughout the Bible and throughout different historic periods of time. So I don't actually see how we're doing anything different from when God swallowed up people in the Red Sea. Mm. 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 Talk about mm. it, sister. And it's just crazy how we get stigmatized and how we get labeled for now we do the same shit that they do and they do it for senseless fucking acts. Like how this country started was with the Boston Tea Party. The Boston yeah. Tea Party itself was a riot and a protest yeah. of them throwing all the tea into the water because they were sick of the taxes with England, kicking off an entire war. So why is it okay for you to be able to do that over taxes and money? Or when the people recently are out protesting because of quarantine, because they want their nail salons open and want to go back to their jobs, that's okay. They're very good people, and we need to make a deal with them, as 45 said. But when we're trying to protest for our lives, for to stop killing us, not to resist police, but to resist death, when we're doing that, it's a problem. Like Jayla said, they call us thugs and hoodlums and all that. Well, it's no making sense of it either, too. Like, you, I, people are hollering now for peace, but it's like when things were done peacefully, nobody was listening. Listen. Yeah, like listen Kaepernick was a problem. He was peaceful. was peaceful. MLK was a problem. He was peaceful. All right, cool. You got all these people that are coming and being peaceful, and you still labeling them as a problem. All right, cool. I'm going to show you a problem. And you going to listen this time. <laughs> you got to do something to catch your attention and speak your language because other than that, you're not going to understand if I'm doing it peaceful. They displayed that thus far. I, that's why I don't feel like, I don't feel anything against the people that are rioting. I'm not mad at them or anything like that because it's like, at a certain point, what do you want people to do? 
Like, what's your given solution to the situation? Like, people got to express themselves somehow. They've been trying to peacefully. Yeah. That's been the, and I also wanted to comment on that with what you said earlier. I'm glad that you mentioned that and actually are well read on the Bible because I see some other people like trying to use that to attack other people too. Like, oh, God would want us to be peaceful. God would want us to attack people and act like this. But it's like, no, what Bible did you read? You know what I'm saying? What do you remember from what he did? Because that's not the whole way this plays out all the time. Sometimes there's wrath. (laughs) And this is one of them situations where there has to be some wrath. Absolutely. When God took Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah, he told him, don't look back. Turn his wife to death straight like that all this protesting and, and I hope that's the goal is for it's three black men sitting here that we won't have to have the conversation with our kids about how we could possibly be killed by the police like I'm tired of having like I've had that I know I'm sure I, y'all have had that conversation yeah. with y'all's parents yeah like, that, my dad has had that conversation with me I don't want to have a conversation with my kids real like, shit I want that to end like this this that should not be a thing Bruh, I tell you something super real. My boyfriend is a special forces combat medic veteran. He was one of the first 12 people to enter Afghanistan. He is a black Jamaican. 
He doesn't know what will happen if he get pulled over by the police or if he's jogging down the street or if he's just wearing a sweater carrying some Skittles in his hand. Wow, he spent 20 years fighting for our country. You know, it's, it, it's crazy to me. It really is crazy to me. Not only what black people in general have to go through, but especially what black men are having to go through. As y'all are just having to walk down the street just to go outside, you gotta look left and right in your own neighborhood. You don't even know what's gonna happen. If you stay in the hood with black people, you got police riding past you every single day. If you over there with white people, then you the pepper that's in the salt and they targeting you. It's like you can't win. Where, where are you supposed to stay at? You know, it's really bewildering to me and it's quite sad. And I don't see how so many people just stand by and watch this injustice. I, I am very, very happy to see so many white people involved in the movement this time. Mm-hmm. To my knowledge, that's the first time that this has happened. I, I don't think we've ever yeah. seen. Yeah, like I don't I, like somebody correct. I mean, I'm sorry if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. I have never seen white not people so many, not this many like that publicly out there getting arrested and, and fighting police. Like, okay. Okay, Caucasians. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. I think that's exactly what we need. I think that's precisely what we need. How we were able to even get out of slavery was through the help of abolitionists. No, they weren't public with it like what they're doing right now. But we need white people. We need to be able to unite together. So I think that being able to, I saw an argument on social media where it was a white guy standing with a black guy. And this sister started to curse out the white guy and was like, what you doing here that's not about you? And the black guy stepped in and was like, no, nah, no, nah, sister, we need him here. We have to unite together on this. So if anything, I want people to understand they everybody is not our enemy. In order to be able to do this, we have to be able to separate and identify. Mm-hmm. You know, if you with the KKK crew, okay, be on over there. But if you're fighting with us, then this isn't an all lives matter moment. This is a black lives matter moment. So put on the t-shirt, put on the hat, and do what we tell you to do. So, but I am very excited to have them with us. Very yeah. excited. Yeah, I'm glad that the understanding is there because I'm one with Kelly on that. Like this conversation definitely shouldn't be a conversation I'm having with my own children. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. 10, 15 years from now, like that shouldn't be our reality. No, not at all. But you know what's so crazy though? So many people don't even realize that that conversation is a thing. Like they don't even know that that's like on the flip side of it, it's nuts to talk to people and they're like, you had a conversation about what with your parents? Nah, bro, yeah, no, I had a so conversation white, that- white I- <laughs> about getting pulled over is like, is two completely different things. Like I remember I was talking to some of them and I was like, yo, I get pulled over. Like I'm calling my mom cause I'm nervous. Like, yo mom, like I'm getting pulled over. I just want you to know where I'm at. They like, I'm scared to call my mom cause they gonna be mad as shit. My mama thankful cause I'm alive, but your mama mad. Like. You don't see the disconnect there? Yeah. <laughs>
Man. Absolutely. I mean, even myself, I got pulled over in Virginia. I used to have an apartment in Virginia. And as I was shutting it down, coming back to D.C., I get pulled over. I wasn't even speeding. I At the time, I had an E350. I, I got a Rover now. But at the time, I had an E350. And I'm purposely driving like Miss Daisy. I'm purposely not speeding because I realize I'm in a racist part of the state. Mm -hmm. So I got somebody on my bumper, and they just keep inching me up and inching me up. And I noticed that I'm now going over the speed limit, over the 80 mark or whatever. And so I hit my brakes to slow down, and I look in my rearview mirror, and it's the police. It's the police purposely behind me inching me up so that I can go over the 80 mark. As soon as I hit my brakes to try to slow down, he turns on his siren. So he pulls me over. It's pitch black outside. It's a desolate highway. Nobody is out there. I'm scared. He comes to the car with his hand on his gun, has me roll down the window. I put my hand on the dashboard. I put all my stuff already on the dashboard, put my hand on my dashboard. And he says to me, excuse me, do you know who car this is? And it took everything in me. I was like, Lord Jesus, keep your composure, Jesus. So I swear to y'all, I looked around and said, well, believe it or not, officer, it's actually mine. <laughs> and he was like, are you sure? I said, well, yes, officer. I mean, I remember buying it. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I said, go check the registration. I mean, everything should be good. I believe my name is on it. Turned into a straight, yes, sir, yes, sir. Because I'm sitting there unsure as to what this man is going to do. When he comes back and gives me the ticket, he gives me a ticket for reckless driving, y'all. What? And what? I, wasn't even, I wasn't even speeding. I swear I wasn't. I don't got no reason to make this up. Give me a ticket for reckless driving. While he gives me the ticket and I'm trying to reach for him, he further like puts his hand on the click part for the gun. How are you scared right now? <laughs> How are you in fear of your life right now that you got your hand on the gun? I'm scared to take the freaking ticket from you. But you got your hand on your gun. And I am a pretty young, light-skinned female. I can't imagine what my brothers would have to go through in that moment. It's fucked up. It's tragic that it, that it even had to be a conversation, but it's a thing. Yeah, it's crazy. Just imagine if I had laughed or said something crazy or if I hadn't already took my registration out the glove compartment, anything, anything. I literally actually was scared. It is not, there are parts of this country that things go on that people just don't talk about. And they constantly just keep sweeping it under the rug. Mm -hmm. And I think when you grow up in those environments, you kind of just become accustomed to it. So mm -hmm. when you're coming from someplace like DC, Chocolate City, where I grew up with black empowerment, and then you drop me in someplace that's racist, and you telling me I can't do this and that, and I need to keep my head down, and I can't do this and that, it's a very clear way to be able to identify that this is a problem because I don't have to operate like this when I'm at okay. home. Yeah. And then you have the changing of the guards in DC 
where after 9-11, they let go of most of the police department, moved Chief Ramsey to someplace else when he was doing an amazing job, where if you lost your keys or something like that, the police would take you home. The police was your friends. But then 9-11 happened, and President Bush pretty much opens up orders to be able to allow all these people to come into D.C. in the name of protecting the Capitol. So all of a sudden, you have these KKK people that are police officers in your chocolate city communities where they don't understand the history, they don't understand they in the first black community, they don't understand they in one of the richest neighborhoods in, in D.C. while pulling people over. I had never been pulled over in D.C. until after gentrification started. I'm like, whoa, do you, do you know what neighborhood you're in? <laughs> this ain't even the hood, bro. And so it's like just coming in and antagonizing people. Just yesterday, with gentrification in full on effect, a lot of people were having different cookouts and stuff like that. When I was in Montgomery County and over on the more Caucasian side, people in parks, people dancing, people doing whatever they want to. I come closer to D.C. where the hoods are at. You literally have police cars parked across the street from where people are trying to have a small little cookout, a small little gathering. They can't even do that in peace. You can't even just sit there and socialize in peace. So how do you think you're supposed to feel when you already low income, you already got mental health issues, you've already been quarantining for the past two months, and you just want to simply sit outside with five or six of your friends. But no, you got police lights shining on you the entire time. So I just think the entire thing is just a mental health situation that just has not been properly addressed. And I believe it's a public health crisis that is impacting the entire world. Mm-hmm. Amen. Man. And you said you were coming out with a book on that, right? Yes, I'm writing a book called Racism, A Public Health Crisis. This is no longer just about philanthropy. It's actually never been about philanthropy. But once again, like I always do, I pull it down to the money. The way that they are affecting us and the way that they are treating us is impacting the entire economy. It's not just us. It boils down to jobs, innovation, diversity, the things that we create, the crops that we grow, the different type of businesses that we start, the medical solutions that we have. You know, it's like, it's ridiculous. There could be a cancer solution right now somewhere in Hampton or Howard or someplace like that, but because these institutions aren't being properly funded, it's taking us 10 or 20 more years to get to this cure because we want to be racist. Mm-hmm. That just makes no sense. At all. Yes. And you take a country like um, what they're doing in Israel right now, Every single high school scheme, every single high school senior in Israel has to take a test. And they take the top people that score the highest on this test. And those become their sort of CIA-ish innovators of the country. That's why Israel is slowly taking over the world. And they have some of the top technology, crypto things, as well as cybersecurity and all type of stuff they got going on in Israel right now. Because they're not being discriminatory as to who their selection pool is. In America, 90% of our population samples are white men. So America isn't mainly comprised of white men. So we're not properly taking 
a reflective pool of innovational resources, then we're only going to end up the same type of homogeneous products. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's heavy. I appreciate this conversation, yeah. honestly. Like, like, we don't never talk about this type of stuff on the podcast usually, but like the times are so it's necessary. Yeah, it's like necessary to have these conversations, really go through these things because, like, we go through these experiences together, whether we realize it or not. And just bringing light to it is how we can also help to spark minds to create change. So, yeah. Absolutely. I'm- you know, I saw a hilarious post yesterday. Um, from this Caucasian woman that said she fears that her son is going to have to grow up uh, with people seeing him as the bad guy, you know, and she she wants to protect her son. And I found that post hilarious that out of everything that was happening, that was her takeaway. So I think whether they realize it or not, we are going through this together. So you can either have a takeaway of let me ante up and protect my son. Or you could say, let me go put on a black sweater and go join this picket line because I want to create a better future for my son. And I want it to be an equal world for my son. And I want my son to respect all races. Like, I think it's honestly, and I know some people get mad at me when I embrace Caucasians, but I honestly think that's what we have to do. I do think it's kind of on us to kind of help educate them a little bit. Just guilting them is not going to get the job done. A lot of them want to help. So telling them to go away or just guilting them, that's just wasting resources. That's just wasting human capital that we could be using for our movement. Not to mention the financial capital that they come along with and the political capital. So why wouldn't we get them on our side? So I think we kind of need to temper ourselves a little bit with that. I mean, of course, it's about us. I'm not saying we. It's, I'm not saying we make this an all lives matter. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying it's straight up. The point is, Black Lives Matter. But people that want to support us, that want to come together, let them support us. I actually have some of my best race conversations with a friend of mine that's Russian. I actually learned from a Russian lady that race was created by Americans in the 1600s. Race didn't even used to be a thing. Black, white, Caucasian, all of that, it used to just be country nationalities. It wasn't until America wanted to reduce the rights of the Moorish Empire that they started to delineate all of these various different races and started segregating us. Then they were able to make different laws that pertain to different races and not to the country as a whole. And they have used these race categories to manipulate and control us ever since the 1600s. And I learned that from a white woman. So we have to come together and we have to conversate with each other. So on that one, man, we're going to wrap it up, man. So So that's some heavy, heavy bars. Yeah, we definitely appreciate you coming on the podcast and like coming with, yeah, this powerful message. So can you Please tell the people like where they can follow you at, like where they can find your books, uh, if they want to book you for anything, anything, yeah, anything. anything. Absolutely. I would first off encourage everybody to go watch my TED Talk, Be a Trojan Horse. You know, I think it will help you understand me even more. I'm all about getting in the room and doing what you got to do to accomplish your goal. So whatever room that means, whatever hand that means shaking, 
that's what you got to do in order to free our people and to keep that at the front of your mind. You can follow me on Instagram at angelrich27, as well as you can check out our books, History of the Black Dollar, Black Women Politics, as well as Wealthy Life. They're all available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And of course, don't forget to download Credit Stacker on Google Play and iOS. And then you say you got a podcast coming out too? Yes, we have a podcast coming out. I'm so excited. You all could go ahead and subscribe. The channel is called Angel Rich, hashtag Black Tech Matters. We will be dropping our first episode on Juneteenth. We are very excited. We are doing it in partnership with Culture Makers as well as CHIP. CHIP is an organization that's focused on Black financial professionals. And I'm sure everybody knows what Culture Makers is. So we are very excited for this podcast. And we're basically going to run it kind of like the history of the Black Dollar Bible study. So you know how you go to Bible study and they keep going with a different chapter each week? That's how we're going to do. We're going to run through the whole book and then we'll start again. And each week we'll talk about different topics. Sometimes we'll have special guests. And um, we have a very special guest that's coming up for our first podcast. So um, everybody tune in and look forward to it on Juneteenth. We're looking out for it. Yeah, the History of the Black Dollar podcast. Y'all, make sure y'all go download Credit Stacker. Y'all, don't play with it. Like, you can play Candy Crush. If you got Candy Crush on your phone and you ain't got Credit Stacker, you need your ass beat. That, and that's that on that. But before we wrap this one up, we're going to go into a couple of housekeeping items. As always, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the podcast week in and week out. Uh, we continue to see growth. We continue to see you sharing and showing love on Twitter. So please just continue helping us grow and spreading the message. You know, we all about getting this information to our people. Uh, y'all, please make sure to comment, subscribe. Please make sure that you give us a lot of feedback so that we can make sure that we're improving on the content that we're putting out and that we're meeting you where you are and doing the best thing that we can with our education as well. Yeah, and y'all definitely check out our book, Manage Your Money Like the One Percent. It's our ebook. We'll also be having the physical copies rolling up, rolling out about two or three weeks from now. So you'll be able to get those books on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, pretty much anywhere that a book is distributed. So you can get that, and also check out our uh, credit fundamentals course, where we just teach you guys like the basics about credit, just. How it works is not this, we're going to raise it in two, 200 points or anything like that. We're just going to teach you how to understand what's really going on and what's really real. And just, all right, guys, just keep rocking with us. Stay up to date. Follow, make sure you follow the Instagram, Facebook, and the Twitter page at Black Wealth Renaissance, BWR underscore movement on Twitter. Uh, and just keep up to date because we keep launching uh, new products and new services every week. Yeah, for sure. So with that said, this is Black Wealth Renaissance signing out. Peace. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my line unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing out the paper. All I know is blood, money, marriage. You can catch me with a dime piece. Me and the money inside me. Diamonds in my time piece. Diamonds in my time piece. Yeah. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper, all I know is blood, money, marathon Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah 
or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.